0: Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. In this episode, Martin Palethorpe, Executive Coach and Founder at Pragma Group, on amplifying healthy, high-performing people and organizations. This is the Notion
1: Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hi, and today I'm with Martin. Hi, Martin. How are you? Hi, Paul. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Tell us, who are you? I am
0: Martin Palethorpe. I'm an executive coach and the founder of the Pragma Group, which is a UK-based performance consultancy. Performance consultancy.
1: Can you tell us a little bit what it means?
0: Yes. What it means is that we work with leaders of organizations to inspire, challenge, coach them to lead great and highly sustainable and successful organizations.
1: In other words, you're coaching people.
0: Coaching, mentoring, challenging, educating.
1: And you do that specifically for startups?
0: We do it for all sorts of organizations we've got a a breadth of experience over the years and I in particular in in all sorts of size organizations
1: but uh, we do a lot of work in small and medium-sized organizations. You started I think correct me if I'm wrong you started by being a consultant at Anderson Consulting so that was a big organization were you doing similar abilities back then or did you move forward and then became a coach after this professional background?
0: I had a very short stint at Anderson Consulting where I I sort of got into a very large machine which didn't uh, serve me particularly well. The first half of my career was (laughs) in the technology sector where I went up the ladder quickly in high growth, fast, NASDAQ-quoted technology companies, very results-orientated organizations, started off in sales and ended up in senior management and then ran a small software company myself here in London. The first company
1: was a company called PTC. I want to know basically about your personal journey. So were you already putting the seeds of what you're doing now then, or were you doing, for instance, sales, and then you suddenly had an epiphany and started coaching people about what you learned throughout this professional career? How do we become someone like you? How did you become someone like you?
0: My journey is that I, in sales, I, I sold high value software solutions. So I learned a lot about strategically and analysing organisations, my clients and potential clients, to understand their business, to understand the politics and the people in their organisation in order to help them most effectively and, and sell to them. I became more and more fascinated in the people dynamics of organisations, of my clients and my own organisation that I was involved in, more and more fascinated in how organisations worked and how leadership worked. And I worked in and experienced many cultures that were great and and some leadership that was great, but also some pretty dysfunctional situations. And I I really became fascinated in what was it to create a high-performing and sustainably successful organization. And that became my passion and interest that had me literally
1: change careers 15 years ago. Yeah, so you went from PTC to EMC, and then you launched out Pragma Group. Can you tell us, because, you know, there's a bit of a, and I'm sorry for that, there's a bit of a stigma sometimes with people talk about coaches, you know, there's all sorts of coaches, all sorts of mentors, the word mentor has been almost overused in the past few years, especially in the startup environment. So how you make that work inside an organization? And you choose whether it's a big one or a small one. I don't know if there's uh, differences at all uh, between organizations or not, but how do you make your expertise actionable within organization?
0: My focus is to support and challenge and coach senior leaders. So if that's in a smallish organization, that will typically be with the chief executive of the organization. It's a lonely place up there. It's a high-pressured place especially if it's high growth, their organization is changing all the time and they have all sorts of challenges that they need to think through and make decisions on. I'm there as a confident and a coach and a support to help them work through the significant challenges that they have. That might be helping them think through their own leadership style. It might be helping them look at getting the right people in the right places in their senior team or in their organization. It could be helping them look at how they create a great culture and so on. And I am bringing from 15 years a huge breadth of experience of having seen so many leaders go through those challenges and bringing some expertise and some insight that helps them. But I'm also primarily there to help them to coach them, to help them think through, to work through their own thinking about what they want to do and and how they want to do it.
1: I'm sure you must have seen a variety of different style of leadership over these 15 years. And you probably also have your own style of leadership because you're a leader as well. Are there any traits uh, that you found that are common to successful leaders? I know it's a question that's being asked more often than not. You've seen Dozens and dozens of medium.com posts about that, but have you seen traits of characters that make someone successful? That's an extremely broad question, so it's uh,
0: in some ways quite difficult to answer, but let me take a stab at that and say that I think there are some key aspects of a broad style of leadership that is critical to growing an organization successfully for the long term. I think the classic one in particular that was very prominent in the 80s and the 90s was a very directive style, a very driven style to create and drive results. Having an element of that to a leadership style is critical, especially at an early stage, because results and quarterly numbers and profit is critical to any organization. So I would consider that an important attribute in leadership. Having said that, if one only has that style, it's not a great style in, on its own in growing an organization that is healthy and prospers and transforms and innovates and so on. And so I think uh, there's some other key elements that are critical for the chief exec in particular, the ability to get out of the weeds and look further ahead and have time to think about strategy and the vision of the organization and to also be able to communicate that to others in the organization to inspire them about the company and where it's going, I would consider a whole nother area that, that is critical. The third element that I think is critical is that a leader should be able to encourage an environment where people can learn and grow and innovation can prosper. So how do they create an organization where they're not doing it all themselves, which they often are in the very early stages, but where they can coach develop, grow others to do what perhaps they did in the early days. And that skill of coaching and developing others and developing the capacity of the people in their organization, I also consider a very important
1: one. But can you teach that? Can you teach someone to become a better, not only leader, but better coach? Can you teach someone to become someone like you in a way and say, OK, no, not only will I be a great leader because of the numbers of the growth of the company, but I will also inspire other people and I will also coach other people. Is that something achievable? Have you seen successes over and over again? Yes, I strongly believe you can teach that. Of course, people
0: have their own styles and their different personalities that will have a significant influence on how someone, for example, inspires. But you certainly can teach it. There's a key factor that impacts the ability of someone to take that on board or not, and that's their openness to change a leader that is stuck in their thinking about and perhaps happy with their own style at the moment may not have the openness to want to change and embrace and teach themselves whereas others it might be they just want to learn and grow and be a better leader or that they've realized there are some limits to the way they're leading currently and that develops an openness
1: where then they become open and teachable. You just mentioned the term limit. So it's introspective, right? It's realizing that I might have, and I do, by the way, have limits on my leadership. How often do people willingly call you or someone like you to come work with them? Or is it the case that, for instance, for startups, is that a VC that will tell you, I think you need to get Martin involved at this point, because they need coaching? How is that process happening? It depends
0: entirely. It can be a multitude of different ways. It can be a leader that realises they need some help, so they reach out themselves and they surround themselves with expertise and mentorship in the areas that they've identified that they need some assistance. So that can certainly be one way. I don't have a situation where I work with a VC and they implant someone like me onto a chief exec. Sometimes I have a situation where the chief exec will decide that they want to develop some of the people in their team. And in that situation, they could be implanting someone like me on somebody. Now, that could be in a talent situation where they've got a sales director who's got great talent and they want to help invest in develop that person. It could be a remedial situation where the chief exec has identified some specific issues that they need to change. And if they don't, they're not going to have a long term future for the organization. And my job is, regardless of the situation, is to come into the situation and develop a level of openness in that person to realize why they might want to work with me. Is that always possible? I think it's always possible. Does it always happen? No. And again, I come back to it. It depends on the openness of each individual and their desire to change, improve, and do their
1: job well. The other thing that the mind of a leader impacts is obviously the culture of the company. You mentioned the term openness many, many times. And it's being highly valued these days, especially, again, in early stage, high growth companies. Do you think your work is better achieved if you come early, as in when the culture is not fully set, as opposed to you coming much later, where it's a big organization? Maybe the culture by then has become this huge boat that is very hard to drive. What's your take on that? I guess it depends on how large the organization is that
0: you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about a Cisco or a Microsoft, then, yeah, certainly um, it's very well formed by this point. If you're talking about an organization that's 30 to 100 people or you know, even two or 300 people, it's still not too late. If there is anyone out there that's got a startup and is five people or 10 people or 15 people currently, that is a beautiful opportunity to create a culture from scratch. And uh, it's like a clean sheet of
1: paper. But don't you think that uh, more often than not, at that point in time for startups, and it is a call for startups that are listening to us, are they not not thinking about that? You know, for them, culture is something that comes much later. They are they're heads down in sales, customer acquisition, they don't think about it. So is there a way for you to crack that nut to say, hey, you know what, I'm very valuable here. You might not realize it, but here's what I'm going to tell you for you to hire me or consult with me.
0: I agree that there's many leaders out there at that stage that are just focused on the basics. I worked with one over the last few years, actually, who did bring me in at an extremely early stage and is extremely grateful for that. So, again, it depends on the consciousness of the leader, really, to realize the importance of people and culture or not. It's becoming more and more clear to the world and to organizations that culture and people is their advantage. So it's okay hitting the numbers. Of course, that's got to be done. But actually, how do you attract great people? How do you maximize productivity in the long term? How do you create loyalty so that people want to stay in your organization? And how do you maximize the creativity that you get out of them? That actually, in the medium term, helps you hit the numbers you're
1: trying to achieve. And that's really all about culture and leadership. use the word more and more have you seen a trend because you have this kind of very historical view now of 15 years have you seen a trend of more openness towards someone like you in organization is your job easier at least your customer acquisition i would use easier now than it used to be 15 years ago
0: yes i i see a big trend if i go back to the 90s when i was in the technology uh, sector myself i think that we as leaders back then could get away with a certain style of leadership That is way harder to just live and lead by today. I think there's a huge trend. And part of that's caused by the internet and the transparency of all of the social media and the websites like glassdoor.com. People get to know what an organization is like to work for. And actually, there's so many organizations that are fighting for the same talent. So the transparency that exists nowadays, the expectation of society and of the employees of today is that an organization is a great place to work as well as one that's achieving things. In many ways, it creates a more of a demand on a leader of an organization to create a great company. You know, for people like me, it's great because that's the world I'm passionate about is creating a place where organizations are healthy as well as high performing.
1: Are you someone like an A-team and you come and you act for three to six months or even 12 months and then you disappear? Or do you enjoy mostly a long term engagement with someone? Because you mentioned that example of the founder you've been active with for a few years. What is your ideal scenario? I don't have an ideal scenario. I'm here to serve clients
0: in whatever way is appropriate to add value to them. If that means I come in and do three months of work and that serves them, great. If it's a three-year assignment, then that's great too if it's adding significant value and and only if it's adding significant value to my client. My personal style is that I create partnership and strong relationship and, and I tend to be in touch with my clients as colleagues and friends
1: for a very long time, whether or not the assignments continue or not. There's a talent war of sorts obviously happening, and you mentioned that term yourself, you want the greatest talent to be attracted to your company, not only for the results, but also for the quality and the environment of the work that's being achieved. People are attracted by the purpose of a company, sometimes even simply its product, and that's especially for early stage uh, companies. What happens then? Is there such a thing as talent marketing, if you want? Companies talk all the time about customer acquisition. If I turn the word and make it into talent acquisition, are there ways to not only make the culture of the company good, but then also communicate that to people? How do they know that working with Martin, for instance, is something that will make them even more successful? talent acquisition
0: and people generally inside an organization that's employees are the most critical thing certainly we used to say customers are the number one priority and i totally disagree with that i think your staff are the most important priority if you have that mindset then for start you're more likely to look after them and by looking after them they'll look after your customers in the right way Are there things to do? Absolutely. I think there's two things to do. This is very broad, but there's creating a place to work that people want to be. And by the way, this is not just about creating a nice place to be. This is about creating, uh, I call it healthy and high-performing. So it's getting the balance of an organization that is very results focused, is lean, is efficient, is driven and so on, balancing that with health. And by health, I mean somewhere that people want to work. They've got some flexibility in today's world about how they work and when they work. And it's an attractive environment that's going to be somewhere that a they enjoy, but also gets the best out of them and gives them prospects for the future. So I think there's a lot that leaders can do to create that culture tangibly and intangibly. One of the most important elements about this is also the way that people manage, because you might have heard the term that people join a company, but they leave their first line manager. So it's all very well creating an awesome culture and whatever that might be. But ultimately, if you don't get great management in place and train people to manage well, the basics. Then even though they love the culture, they still end up leaving. And I had a couple of situations like that that I came across recently
1: beyond culture, leadership also affects creativity and productivity. Productivity is a key point that a lot of people talk about. How do we actually work, you know, daily work? How do we achieve tasks, etc. Can you see an increasing productivity through our clients? Do you think there's an impact there as well? Yes. I can't give you a specific metric because my work is sort of intangible
0: in many respects. But yes, I'm looking to unlock what's not working. I'm looking to unlock dysfunction. I'm pointing and working with an executive team that's operating with silo mentality and they're stuck in their own or they've got different agendas or they're not aligned on where they're going or the goals are unclear or the way they hold meetings are not focused and they're going on for way too long. I mean, there's all sorts of different areas where actually I'm coming into point and challenge and coach and help iron all out of this human dysfunction. And when you do that, people get clearer and certainly more productive. Can you explain me the term mind out the way? What does it mean to you? Mind out the way. So this is a whole area of work that I specialize in. Over the last 15 years, in fact, over the last 46 years of my entire life, I've been fascinated in the impact that the mind has. In the last 15 years in particular, if I look at all of the challenges that leaders and organizations have, a huge aspect to human behavior and improving how organizations work is how people think. So if we look at many of the issues that we might come across, like a culture where there's blame or people are operating with silo mentality or there's some defensiveness or people are struggling with change or they don't want to change and so on and so on. There's a psychological element that sits underneath all of this, which is how the people are thinking in any moment. And I do some really transformational work to fundamentally transform how people are using their minds. What that does is it unlocks that whole nother level of working together and productivity that produces significant result.
1: That's applicable to individuals as well as organizations? Hugely applicable
0: to individuals and organizations,
1: yes. Is that something you do as part of your consulting at Pragma or is it something it's an add on if I want to use that word?
0: I'm always going into a situation to understand what's going on and what their need is and what their problems and challenges are. It's another part of the solution that I provide if I can see value for it. Just to position it in another way, I think in some ways, business is following sport. And if you look at sports psychology, 20 years ago, sports psychology really wasn't a particularly big field. In fact, in many ways, it was poo-pooed. The concept of having a sports psychologist or a sports psychiatrist was ridiculed in the press. But now, 20 years on, everyone's got one. Everyone's got one because they realize the difference between winning and losing in sport is all psychological. And I can see that this is going to happen in the next 10, 20 years in business, because the more that people can, to use the sporting term, the more that people can operate in the zone in every moment that they're in business, the more effective they can be, the less caught up in their own psychological drama, the
1: more in the zone, the more results they produce individually and together. You mentioned the words healthy a few minutes ago. And now you're talking about sports, and we know that uh, one of the ways to achieve success in sports is also this balance between personal challenges and personal life and the professional, in that case, sports challenge. You've done some challenges yourself as personal challenges, have you not? Yes, I certainly
0: have. I've always been fascinated in sport myself. Actually, when I was uh, 15 years old, I cycled John O'Groats to Land's End from the top of Scotland to the bottom of England on my own. Actually, that was before the internet existed or phones. I didn't even have a mobile at that point. So I've always been fascinated in physical challenge and the psychological challenge that fits underneath that. So over the last 10 or so years, I've raced to the magnetic North Pole in A team of three people against eight other teams. I've also raced across three of the world's largest deserts, the Gobi Desert, Atacama, and the Sahara Desert.
1: Has that influenced at all your way of thinking in your professional life? I actually
0: speak on the subject. So I speak on high performance and high performance teams based on my experience in the Arctic. I think it's broadened me as a human being generally. I didn't succeed in all of those endeavours. And the learning from either winning and or failing has certainly developed my perspective as a human and hence probably as a
1: coach too. By the way, it's very impressive. <laughs> Is that something, sports, because it's clearly a passion of yours, that you also are inclined to advise from time to time to people to have a healthier lifestyle, which obviously people talk a lot about the exercises, but beyond exercise, it's kind of challenging yourselves into such challenges you've done. Is that something you would also advise the people to do? It's not something I proactively advise
0: people to do. I think it's for people to work out from their own inner wisdom what they want to do with their lives and their career. If someone's asking me about it, I'll rave about it and tell them how great it is and what I got out of it. But ultimately, people need to tune into what they want in their own lives, and I certainly help them do that. And whether that's uh, racing to the North Pole or learning to play the violin or doing charity work, I'll support and challenge them along getting there.
1: Any other challenges on the horizon for you?
0: Any other challenges? Well, my next challenge is I am taking my family to Brazil in the summer for three weeks. Um, We've got tickets to the Olympics, but I'm currently planning the whole trip and we've got five days camping in the Amazon. So uh, that's my up and coming challenge that I'm uh, really excited about with my family.
1: I mean, been there. It's pretty amazing. So I hope you're going to enjoy it. But you know what we say, right? The pleasure is also into the planning and the expectation. So I wish you all the best. Uh, is there any way of people contacting you if they want to know more about you? Or is there a website or an email or whichever way uh, you want to give? Yes, certainly. So if anyone wants to look at thepragmagroup.com,
0: is my website. You can also find me on LinkedIn, the name is Martin Paylethorpe. My email address is martinp at the And
1: on that, Martin, thank you very much. Thank you.